Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Acts, various selections from chapter 2. I encourage you, if you have a few minutes this afternoon, to read the whole of chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said that they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and listen to what I said. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. 
Good morning, my name is David Bruner. Uh, If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. It's such a delight to be here with all of you, and it's a delight to see all of you here at this one service. That means we've successfully negotiated two of the most difficult things you can negotiate as a church. One is changing the worship time. If you, if you look carefully during the service, you will probably see someone come in the back door halfway through my sermon looking very confused. And when you see that person, don't make fun of them because someday it will be you. <laughs> and we've negotiated a second challenge already this morning, which is merging two services and having everyone successfully find a seat. I'm not gonna ask if someone was sitting in your pew today because I don't believe in that. I am, a, uh, I am a your pew atheist, you might say. But congratulations, there were no fisticuffs, there were no arguments this morning. We all found a place to sit. Of course, as a Presbyterian pastor, it's my duty to remind you, there's always room in the front row. <laughs> there's always room in the front row. <laughs> um, as many of you know, we're uh, working through a sermon series called At the Table, looking at different meals in the New Testament, meals that Jesus shared, meals that the community shared. Last week, we talked about the empty seat at Jesus' table. Some of you have probably noticed that the stool that I brought in last week is still here. Um, that's because I forgot it. I just want to call that out. It's right there. It's hard to miss. It's not, I'm not leaving it there as an object lesson or any sort of a reminder. I just got out to the car last week. I'd successfully gotten all three kids out to the car. I'd loaded them in the car. One of them had run off at the very last minute and tried to escape. And I wrangled them back and got them in the car. And I loaded up the car and I closed the trunk. And I thought to myself, that stool is still in the sanctuary. And then I said, you know what? It'll be fine for a week. So... Hopefully, you can remind me uh, to take it home with me today. Um, Let me provide some context for the scripture I'm going to read in a minute. So we just heard that wonderful reading from the second chapter of Acts. Second chapter of Acts tells the story of the first Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit descended with power on the early Christian church. Christian disciples from all over the world saw the Holy Spirit descending and they heard the Holy Spirit because everyone was speaking in their own native tongue. That's verses 1 through 13 of Acts 2. And after this outpouring of the Spirit, the Apostle Peter gets up and he gives a powerful sermon and he retells for the disciples the story of Jesus' ministry and his death and his resurrection. That's verses 14 through 36. And what I'm going to read for you now is verses 37 through 47. And it's the community's response to the descent of the Holy Spirit and Peter's sermon. So everything that follows, everything that I'm going to read, is also about the work of the Spirit. Um, So just bear that in mind as we hear Um, a little bit about it. But let me pray for us first before I read it for you. Good and gracious God, our Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that it would descend on us in power today as it did on your disciples at the first Pentecost. Enable us by this same Spirit to hear your word, to take it to heart, and to live out its message in our lives. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. 
beginning with verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, in the first half of this chapter, the story of the first Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is present in a very obvious way. Um, Miracles are happening. The Holy Spirit is descending in a visible form. Everybody's hearing people speaking in their native tongues. In the second half of this chapter, the passage I just read, the Holy Spirit is still present, but in a much more subtle way. So prompted by this passage, this morning I want to ask three questions that this passage helps answer. And here are the three questions. First, what is the Holy Spirit? Second, what does the Holy Spirit do? And third, how can we respond to the Spirit? So, What is the Holy Spirit? What does the Spirit do? And how can we respond to the Holy Spirit? That's what we're going to talk about today. So let's start with that first question. What is the Holy Spirit? There's a lot of ways we could talk about that. Here's one way I want to answer it this morning. The Holy Spirit is the powerful, unending love between God the Father and God the Son, in which we can share by faith. There's a lot there. I'll say that again. The Holy Spirit is the powerful, unending love between God the Father and God the Son, in which we share by faith. So the idea of the Holy Spirit presumes the Christian idea of the Trinity, with which many of you, though not all of you, are probably familiar. God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Spirit is the love of God that has its source in the powerful and unending love between God the Father and God the Son. And it's a love you and I can experience ourselves. It's a love we can enter into and share with others. More than 1,500 years ago, there was a Christian pastor and teacher in North Africa, in modern-day Tunisia, and his name was Augustine. 
He lived in a city called Hippo, so they called him Augustine of Hippo, one of the most famous Christian thinkers of all time. And he wrote a famous book on the Trinity. And in that book, he wrote that the Trinity helps us understand how God is love. Because, he said, the Trinity shows us that God is a lover, a beloved, and the love they share. A lover, a beloved, and the love they share. So God the Father loves God the Son. God is a lover. Jesus the Son loves his Father. God is a beloved. And then the love that those two share is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the love the Father and Son share, but it's not a private love. It's not an exclusive love, something we could never get our hands on or experience. It's a love we can feel and share and know. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, it's not a mere feeling or an emotional high. The Holy Spirit is God's own presence in our hearts and minds. Maybe an example will help. So I want you to think about weddings. You can think about your own wedding if you're married. You can think about the last wedding you attended if you'd like. At every wedding, there's a lover and a beloved. Usually it's a bride and a groom, right? Two people who are deeply in love, a lover and a beloved. But at a wedding, there's also this third thing, the community. There's a community of people who love the bride and groom. And as the bride and groom share their vows and make their pledges and exchange rings, something happens. The community shares in that love. The community is caught up in that love. The community magnifies that love, spreads that love, deepens that love. Do you know what I'm talking about? When Becca and I got married many years ago, there was this palpable feeling from the congregation of supporting us, loving us, and lifting on us up. It was like they were sharing in the emotions that we had that day. That's why wedding receptions are always such great parties. Before anyone has had the first cocktail or the first little hors d'oeuvre, everyone is all high on life. Why? Because they've entered into the love that the bride and the groom share for each other. Something like that is how the Holy Spirit works. God and Jesus love each other. And the Holy Spirit is the means by which you and I and our faith community enters into and shares in that love of God. So that's the first point. The Holy Spirit is the powerful, unending love between God the Father and God the Son in which we can share. Here's the second point. What does the Spirit do? What does the Holy Spirit do? When the Spirit's present, what happens? And here again is an answer. The Spirit dwells in us individually and as a community and empowers us to live faithful and holy lives. 
The Spirit dwells in us individually and as a community and empowers us to live faithful and holy lives. Let me break that down for you. The Holy Spirit dwells in us as individuals. One of the most important things the Holy Spirit does is is help give us faith in Jesus. As the Apostle Paul said, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Faith in Jesus is a gift of the Spirit, and it's a sign of the Spirit. Sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit as something only a a special few possess, that it's the mark of a spiritual elite, pastors or Pentecostals or evangelists or something like that. No. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit because you've been given the gift of faith. The Holy Spirit is the common property of all Christians. And when we have the Holy Spirit, uh, the Spirit not only gives us faith, but it lives inside of us and helps point us towards Jesus, helps us live faithful lives. So think about something as simple as deciding to pray for a person or a situation in your life. You're going about your day, all of a sudden something occurs to you, yeah, so-and-so is sick, they're in the hospital, I should really pray for them. And that night, you have a a moment of quiet time and you decide to pray for them. Now, God is the person that you're praying to in that moment. But something else is going on too. Something inside of us is urging us to pray. And that motivation, that inner voice urging us to action is also God. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not just the voice of our conscience. It's not the voice of our confirmation teacher from 50 years ago. It's the Holy Spirit urging us to behave faithfully in that moment. So the Holy Spirit dwells in us as individuals and the Holy Spirit also dwells in us as a community. As a community, right here, as we gather this morning for worship, I believe the Holy Spirit is present in and among us, and not just because we're wearing red. We sometimes tend to gloss over this communal dimension of the Spirit's work. Here in America, we tend to be very focused on individuals, on our personal relationship with Jesus, um, and that's all well and good. But the Bible tells us that the primary place the Holy Spirit dwells is in the gathered church, in the church community as a whole. If you ask the Apostle Paul, do you individually have the Holy Spirit, Paul? He would have said, yeah, I guess. But if you asked him where the Holy Spirit resides, where the Holy Spirit is to be found, he would have said, well... The Spirit is found in the new temple of God, the church. In other words, he would have said, well, if you want to find the Holy Spirit, don't start by looking inside yourself. Look at the person next to you in church. Look at the person in front of you or behind you and look for the Spirit there. Now, I know some of you are thinking, okay, Dave, I know the person I'm sitting next to. 
I'm not sure if they have the Holy Spirit at all. That's fine. You can look past them, look two or three rows down. You know what I mean. It's all of us together. It's all of us together. The signs of the Spirit dwelling in a particular church are all the things we saw in our reading from verses 37 through 47. People being baptized, diligent study of the scripture, fervent prayer. When it talks about breaking bread, that's um, an allusion to Holy Communion, the celebration of Holy Communion, sharing of possessions, fellowship, and shared meals. One way that the Holy Spirit works in the church is simply by bringing people together to share a meal and be connected. When these things occur, they're signs that the Spirit is living and working among the people of God. Just like when one of us pauses to pray, the Holy Spirit is the thing driving us to pray in the same way when the community works together to serve others or works together to worship or discerns God's will for the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit is the one doing the work in that situation. I think about it this way. God wants the church to be like a potluck. We're entering into potluck season Potlucks are on my mind. Maybe this is just my stomach talking. God wants the church to be like a potluck, okay? Everybody brings something, but the total contribution is much, the the total, the sum of the parts is much larger than any one person's contribution, right? You may make the very best potato salad in the entire Western hemisphere. Guess what? Potato salad by itself does not make a potluck, You need someone else's contribution. You need sandwiches and burgers and ribs and fruit salad and pie and some sort of strange jello salad over there. No one's going to have any of it, right? That's what you need. That's what God is saying to us. We need one another. The Spirit wants everybody to bring something. This is important, by the way, because it's not uncommon to run into people that um, love Jesus Christ that want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ but are very disinterested in the church. Um, They believe in God or a higher power, but they don't want to have anything to do with organized religion. And of course, sometimes there are good reasons for that. We all know the church is a body of imperfect people, starting with me. We all know that the church has a checkered history, hasn't done everything right throughout its history. But what the Bible says about that is that if we believe in Jesus, but we don't associate with Christian community, we're cutting ourselves off from the Spirit. We're cutting ourselves off from the primary place where the Spirit dwells. A person who believes in Jesus or believes in God, but doesn't want to belong to a local church is like someone who says, well, I made fruit salad. That's all we need for this potluck. We got it. It's just fruit salad. That's it. It's not going to work. So that's our second question. What does the Holy Spirit do? Holy Spirit dwells in us individually and communally. Now for our third question. How can we respond to the Spirit? How can we respond to the Spirit? And here again, the answer is pretty simple. Pray, listen, and take risks. Pray, 
listen, and take risks. The first step in responding to the Spirit is simply to pray. Um, And remember, you don't need to pray to have the Holy Spirit. If you're praying to Jesus Christ, guess what? You already have it. You don't need to ask for that. You can ask for God to send more and more of the Spirit into your life. More of the Spirit into your heart, into your personal life, and especially more of the Spirit into our community. Just ask. And in my experience, when we earnestly pray for God to send his Spirit, he answers. So pray and listen. Listen for the Holy Spirit. One way the Holy Spirit works in our life is is a nudge, a sense that we're supposed to say something or do something in a particular situation. Sometimes it's clear that it's a, a prompting from God. Sometimes it's just a thought that keeps popping into our head. Often this is a sense that you should reach out to someone call them or text them, check in on them. Sometimes it's a sense that you should invite a person to something, to church or a small group, or just ask a question. Tell me about your your faith journey. Tell me about church. What role does that play in your life? Um, Now, it's always good when you feel that nudge to check yourself, right? Is this a loving thing that I'm, I'm thinking about saying? Right? Remember the Holy Spirit is the spirit of love. If what we're saying is unkind or hurtful, probably not the Holy Spirit. It's also good to ask, is this something that's gonna build up the church? The Holy Spirit works to build up the church. If, if the Holy Spirit's telling you to go gossip about something that someone's doing, probably not the Holy Spirit. But often, often, the Holy Spirit works through those kinds of simple nudges. Um, Becca's had an experience like this recently. So some of you know, um, over the last several months, she began to experience a desire to talk to her sister, Kristen, about the possibility of moving here to Naperville. And this seemed quite unlikely for as long as I've known the Sanders family. They've all lived in Portland, Oregon. There was no particular reason they would move here now. But Becca kept getting this nudge kept having this desire, okay, maybe I should talk to Christian about this. And she wasn't sure what to do. She talked to me about it. And I was like, no, that's, that's definitely not gonna happen. Why would, you, why would you have that conversation with her? I really hit a home run there. <clears throat> and so what Becca wound up doing is not bringing it up with Kristen right away, but she brought it up with her mom, Debbie. And Debbie looked at her and she said, Becca, have you been talking to Kristen? Because Kristen approached me with this same idea. And they said, whoa, what's going on here, right? And um, maybe if Becca hadn't broached the idea with her mom, it wouldn't have happened. Who knows? But because Becca was faithful and responded to that nudge, things went in a certain direction. And now um, Kristen is the proud owner of a home in Plainfield, 15 minutes away. Yeah, we're, we're incredibly thrilled and they're in the process of coming out here more often with the hope of moving here eventually. Sometimes that's how the spirit works. The last thing we can do to respond to the spirit's work is take risks. Take risks. Some of you know that old saying, God doesn't call the qualified, 
He qualifies the called. Have you heard that saying before? God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. I think that's very true. If you want to respond to the Holy Spirit's leading, eventually you're gonna have to step outside of your comfort zone. You're gonna have to step outside of the zone where you feel totally qualified to do the thing you're gonna do and, and challenge yourself a little bit. Now, I'll be honest with you, I hate this part. I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, I keep telling God, can I please stay inside my comfort zone? Like for the rest of my life. That's really what I would like. And the Holy Spirit just keeps ruthless, ruthlessly saying to me, no, you can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but guess what? The reality is that God is waiting for you just outside your comfort zone. That's where the spiritual growth is. That's where the deeper relationship with Jesus is. That's where a more powerful mission and witness to the world is. That's where a deeper contentment and joy is. And what we need is the wisdom to hear the Spirit calling us and the, the faith and the courage to take that step in response. Um, let me tell you a story. So, um, pastor friend of mine, a wonderful Christian person, full of the Holy Spirit, um, a couple years ago, he's leading worship at his church. And during worship, they have a time for individual prayer, prayer for individual members of their church, very much like we do here at Knox. And so a, a young woman comes up, he's never met her before. She comes up and asks for prayer about a few things in her personal life, nothing really earth-shaking, this and that. So he prays for her, dear Lord, please help this woman, blah, blah, blah. They pray, she sits back down. And my friend is making his way back to his seat. And all of a sudden, out of the clear blue sky, he hears a voice in his head. And the voice says to him, I want you to tell that woman that the baby she lost is with me now. Right, imagine how he felt. I want you to tell that woman that the baby she lost is with he now. So my friend screwed up his courage and he walked over to her and he knelt down and he said, I'm sorry to bother you. I think God wants me to say something to you. And I love that part of the story because he offered that word with such boldness and courage, but also with such humility. And if the woman had said, I don't know what the heck you're talking about, he could have said, okay, that's fine, and walked back to his seat. But he said, I think God wants me to tell you something. And then he said, I think God wants me to say, the baby you lost is with me now. And sure enough, as soon as he said those words, the woman dissolved into tears because she had lost a baby uh, many years ago under very tragic circumstances. And it wasn't something she had brought up to anybody in the church. She'd never mentioned it to him, but through him, God worked to comfort and reassure that woman that it was okay, that she could go on with her life. It was an incredibly powerful moment for everyone concerned. And it happened because my friend had the faith to take that risk, to step out of his comfort zone. Dear friends, the Holy Spirit is real. It is the delight and love of the Father and the Son that we can share. It is a spirit that is dwelling in us as individuals and in us as a community. And we can share it with others if we will listen. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.